0: This is The Guardian. Today, they were meant to be a key tool in the way corporations fight global heating. So why are so many carbon credits worthless? a
1: rainforest the size of England disappears each year. So the value of standing forests can only rise.
0: You've probably heard advertisements like these. And high quality nature-based carbon credits could also play a valuable role in decarbonisation. We're exploring ways to help further offset growth in aircraft emissions, such as investing in the repair of damaged peatland to remove carbon from the atmosphere. We were the first airline to participate in emissions trading and set ambitious climate targets. Now, as part of our journey with BA Better World. Talking up the power of emissions trading or carbon credits to help solve the climate crisis. It's a complicated industry, but the premise is pretty simple. Pay for projects somewhere in the world that reduce the amount of carbon in the atmosphere. And in exchange, you can keep polluting yourself. Carbon credits are becoming big business, worth about $2 billion a year, and expected to grow to 10 times that size by the end of the decade. They sell a kind of dream that, in the face of an environmental crisis that demands big polluters cut their emissions fast, they and all of us might be able to buy our way out of the problem. But a major new investigation, one that stretches from the UK to the Peruvian Amazon and the boardrooms of some of the largest companies in the world, has reached a damning conclusion. That the vast majority of the forest carbon credits sold by the world's leading provider are in fact worthless and potentially do more damage to the climate than they solve. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus. Are carbon credits a mirage? Patrick Greenfield, you're a biodiversity reporter with the Guardian's Age of Extinction project. Tell me where this investigation started for you.
1: I'm a nature journalist. And one big theme in my work at the moment is the financialization of nature, putting a value on it. How much is nature worth? And the more I looked into the subject, the more I started to notice these carbon offsetting schemes everywhere. It was all about putting a value on, on a rainforest, on an ecosystem, and I kept digging and digging and digging into this. And once I started to see it on packaging, I saw it at COPS. Good afternoon, everybody. I'd like to welcome you to the event Carbon Credits, Catalyzing Investments and Innovative Technology for the Voluntary Carbon Markets at the World Bank Pavilion. So I saw it in studies that I was looking at as part of my day job. And, and suddenly, I was just seeing these kind of credits everywhere. You can fly carbon neutral, you can eat carbon neutral burgers, you can, I don't know, carbon neutral ice cream, you can offset the emissions from your life, you can have carbon neutral packaging on whatever you'd like. It just seems to be a, a kind of key business response to the climate crisis now. And I wanted to answer that basic question of what are they and can we
0: trust what these claims are? Okay, so this has become a really big deal, a big part of the way that we fight global heating. But what is carbon offsetting? How does it work? It's very simple, really. I think that the idea behind offsetting is
1: that good can cancel out bad. And in terms of the climate, when you emit carbon when you're driving, flying, eating meat, whatever that might be, you can theoretically cancel that out by paying for negative emissions elsewhere. So that's sucking um, carbon out of the atmosphere whether that's through tree planting or these carbon capture factories that that we're seeing spring up now or through avoided emissions which are the most common type and that's through stopping deforestation and threatened ecosystems like the Amazon or paying for
0: renewable energy projects in the developing world. Okay so carbon offsetting can be both planting new trees or paying communities not to go ahead with some project that would have resulted in greater carbon emissions or deforestation or something like that?
1: Very simply, yes. Carbon credits are just a financial mechanism for paying for this.
0: I I can really see the appeal of carbon offsetting because the climate crisis demands such severe things of our lifestyles and the idea that you don't have to change that much. You can just offset the damage you do is a really appealing one, I'm sure for corporations, but even for me as an individual. How does this work as an industry? Who are the big players in carbon offsetting? This is big business, big money.
1: The industry is really now experiencing exponential growth. So it's gone from, just for carbon credits, worth $1 billion a year. Last year, it was worth $2 billion And it's to do with companies taking climate change more seriously. So as part of net zero strategies... They want to pay for climate change mitigation and these activities. And what's so attractive, I think, about that is that if you're a brand and you want to tell a story about yourself and what you're doing, if you're supporting a project, you can point to a particular part of Colombia or a particular part of of Madagascar, say, and show pictures of this gorgeous ecosystem, this gorgeous forest, communities that do need more support, that maybe are the front line of climate change and say, we're cancelling out our emissions by helping other people in other parts of the world, and, and here are the credits
0: and, and the pictures to prove it. Okay. And if I'm a business that wants to offset my carbon emissions, who do I talk to? Like, Is there a, a company or some kind of referee who decides where this money that I've set aside to pay for environmental projects should go and how many carbon credits it buys me?
1: So the crucial people in the middle of this or the organisations are the carbon standards. And there are several and their job is to say and write the rules for what is an emission reduction to essentially give their stamp of approval on a project or a set of projects that you can trust. And there are some that have come up through NGOs, others that have come up through businesses, and this is totally unregulated. So you can really write your own rules, but there are clear leaders. And, and the biggest right now is called Vera, a Washington-based US NGO or nonprofit their role is to ensure credibility when you look at a vera project they will have checked through their system and everybody else that's involved in this whether that carbon credit is a real reduction in theory and and they've stamped it and that's what's being sold on to consumers to bands to normal people to whoever wants to do anything about this right so they provide integrity for this this system in
0: theory hmm and and what is vera actually doing? How are they helping companies become carbon neutral or at least claiming to be able to do so? The key conceptual thing that you need to understand about rainforest
1: protection credits is it's about avoiding destruction. So in theory, what should happen is a project should be established in an area of threatened rainforest that could be destroyed by illegal gold mining. A highway might be get put through it. It could be targeted by illegal loggers. And this conservation project, in theory, comes in and goes, no, we're going to stop this from happening. And they do a calculation on how the world would have been if they'd not come in and protected this rainforest. And that is what they use to claim the credits. Interesting. So they're avoiding this 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 world where the rainforest would have disappeared. But because that conservation project is there, Those emissions aren't going into the atmosphere. And these are the carbon credits. And you'll notice that nothing's being sucked out of the atmosphere as part of these credits. This is avoiding
0: further emissions, right? And so what Vera is offering its customers is not to plant new trees, new rainforests, but to find a way to pay people, not to cut down forests that they would have cut down. And that's how they achieve a kind of climate benefit.
1: In effect, yes, they are the guarantee that that area of rainforest was threatened and they give it the rubber stamp and say, yeah, there's a high likelihood that if this project hadn't been here, a good chunk of this forest would go. Therefore, you are a VERA approved carbon offsetting scheme and you are free to produce credits. Just to give you a sense of the, the domination of VERA in this space, figures vary, but about Three quarters of all offsets in the voluntary sector are rubber stamped by VERA. And the main two types are renewable credits, which have their own problems, which we're not going into today, and the rainforest credits that we've been investigating. They are about 40% of the offsets that VERA approve.
0: Okay, and Patrick, when did you begin to get a sense that not everything was what it seemed in the way that Vera operated, that these kinds of claims they were making maybe didn't quite stack up?
1: The real key bit was looking in detail at these counterfactual models that many projects had used. That. I'd been assured by lots of people I'd, I'd spoken to were fine. This is great. This is this is how these projects work, and and you've just got to trust it. And then I called up a Brazilian deforestation modeller who who's one of the kind of top deforestation modellers in the Amazon who'd been cited throughout a lot of these project documents, and explained to him what was going on and, and how his models were being used. And he knew how they were being used, and he said, "This is nonsense. This is this is hot air. This is not how." Modelling full stop should be used, let alone my model. Wow. And that's really where I thought, okay, something, something's very wrong here.
0: And so what did you do next?
1: I've been working with a team of journalists on this. So I've been working with a Desait, who are a big German newspaper, and Source Material, who are an investigative journalism organization. And together, we must have spoken with a few hundred people for this investigation over the last nine, 10 months, I've spoken with ecologists, climate scientists, policy people, indigenous leaders. I've been to see Peru's top climate civil servant. I've spoken to conservation organizations. I've been to dozens of events at COPS. It's been pretty vast, as well as, of course, people in projects on the ground as well. We looked at the estimates That researchers were making studies looking at how much deforestation these projects actually avoid using high-quality methods. And we compared that with the claims that Vera were approving. And remember, how much deforestation has been avoided is everything. And once we'd made those comparisons, we could then calculate what we believed to be
0: real and what wasn't, according to these studies. I see. And so Vera has been making these claims saying that we can make sure that a certain amount of deforestation will be avoided. And what you've managed to do as part of this investigation is take these claims and put them in front of different sets of experts and get them to double-check it and make sure that what Vera is saying is actually true. So what did they find?
1: Our findings suggest that most of these schemes either stop no deforestation at all or stop tiny amounts. So according to our analysis... There are projects that are actually stopping no deforestation, that are claiming to stop enormous amounts every year, and that are generating credits on that basis, and that companies are then using to claim that they're carbon neutral or that you can not change your behavior because actually this part of the Amazon is being protected by this project. And it's just
0: nothing. It's worthless in carbon terms. But that's really surprising, Patrick. You're saying that if I choose to pay a bit of extra money to make sure my flight is carbon neutral and I can fly with a little less guilt, you're saying that there's a possibility that that bit of extra money that I'm paying isn't actually helping any forest at all? In
1: short, yes. So I've, I've got the figures uh, from our analysis in, in front of us right now from, from both studies. Um, they are projects in... Brazil, Colombia, Cambodia, the Democratic Republic of Congo, Tanzania. And now look, each Veraproof project is unique, but let's pick some examples out here. So there is a project in Colombia, for example, that I'm looking at now. It claims to have stopped 103,000 hectares of deforestation in the Amazon in its lifetime. An enormous, enormous amount of carbon. Um, it's generated at least 22 million credits in this time period through the Vera system. It stopped no deforestation at all. Wow. There are there are companies that are using this to, to say they're carbon neutral. Another project here in the Peruvian Amazon this time, it's generating credits as if it's stopping about 14,000 hectares of deforestation. It stopped nothing. Let's go to Cambodia now. 21,000 hectares of deforestation that was allegedly being stopped. Nothing again. And then actually... There are projects that are stopping some, but on a much smaller scale than claimed.
0: Patrick, this is astonishing. How can this be happening? How can Vera be so mistaken? So I think at this stage, it's
1: important to to take a step back. Yet these credits are being used in lots of cases for greenwashing, but it didn't start out this way. A lot of these methodologies, the way they come up with the credits, were created before the Paris Agreement, in times where it didn't look like we were going to take the necessary action on the climate crisis, on protecting rainforests. And these were well-intentioned ideas for how we could do that. And it really comes down to the difference between the quality of a prediction and what actually happens. So in the 2000s, when some of these schemes were developed, Actually, they didn't have a lot of the techniques we have today on satellite data and predictive modeling, and they were just using the best they had. And really, a lot of these methodologies haven't been updated that much since then. And what these studies have come along and done is check the quality of those predictions. And invariably, unfortunately, they were were pretty bad. I think it's important to say at this stage that no model is perfect and that these studies won't be able to capture everything that's going on in these unique areas of rainforest. Everywhere is different. But something that they all have in common is this ever-present changing of risk. And and when it comes to deforestation, there might be an area that is really threatened under a president like Jair Bolsonaro. But when Lula gets re-elected, that threat changes. And a key flaw in these predictions is that they're taking what had happened in the near past and projecting out into the future and these projections weren't changing. There are ways that unfortunately that projects can exaggerate or overstate or project out these dystopian realities that, that they're trying to avoid. But I think in many cases it's not cuz they were trying to be evil or there were bad intentions in any way. There was no way of checking the quality of, of these predictions, right, at the time they were unknowable. And it's just that now we have better quality methods that we use in many fields where we can actually
0: do these checks. Let me see if I understand this. Vera's model might have predicted the forest was under threat in Brazil under the government of Jair Bolsonaro, who was a climate vandal. But in real life, when a new president like Lula comes to power, that forest is no longer under the same level of threat, hopefully. But these models used by Vera often didn't reflect new realities like that. They predicted a level of risk to a particular piece of forest that may no longer have been the case. And then they sold companies carbon credits based on that risk, which in some cases allowed these companies to keep emitting, maybe even to emit some more in return for saving a forest that may not have been under threat anymore.
1: Yeah. It's brutal, right? As you say, that's the ultimate truth. The striking figure is that 94% of the credits that are covered in the study time period that were produced by these projects were hot air. They were nothing. They were worthless in carbon terms. This system isn't working. We're not getting money to the right places. And we're not protecting areas of rainforest that we should be. Rainforests continue to vanish. And it's crucial that that stops. And we really urgently need to get this right.
0: So, Patrick, what does Vera say about these findings that go to the very heart of what they claim to do?
1: They say that they they welcome criticism and that they're constantly updating um, their, their methodologies to incorporate the latest science. But they say that these studies will never be able to capture, because of the methods they've used, the reality of what's going on on the ground. They say each project has a unique situation with its own unique drivers of deforestation that are only true in that part of Madagascar or that part of Cambodia. And you'll never be able to capture that in a standardized approach. And they say that explains the difference between what these studies indicate is going on
0: and what their predictions are trying to get at and what projects claim against So they're questioning some of the modelling that you're relying on here, but what are they not questioning? In effect, what are they conceding is correct about what you've been doing?
1: I've not really seen any justifications of the approaches they're using right now to generate these credits and the credits that companies are relying on. And also, again, they are changing their system, but most of their criticisms latch on to limitations and slight flaws in, in these methods that the study authors themselves acknowledge these are estimates, these are not exact figures on what definitely would have happened had this project not existed but but they're still a pretty good idea and as many of these scientists have said over and over again to me they're still much better than anything Bearer have come up with in their
0: methodologies So Patrick, Vera say that a lot of the projects that they run are really effective. And to try to figure out if that was true or not, you took a trip yourself. Tell me about where you went and what you expected to find.
1: There was a small group of projects that did seem to be stopping some deforestation. And we wanted to go see what that actually looked like on the ground because they're often the ones that are being used in big claims. So I travelled to San Martin province in Peru, in the Amazon, which is an incredibly beautiful place. It's the most beautiful place I think I've ever been in my entire life. It is nestled between the Andes and the western edge of the Amazon. I went to a project called Alto Mayo, which is a, a protected area that is run by Conservation International and the Peruvian National Park Service to really see how they were stopping deforestation effectively, according to this research. Um, right, so we are on the main highway that bisects uh, Altamaya National Park now and I'm looking out the window on the left of the van as we're heading back towards Aguas Verdes village, um, the town there, and there is stunning rainforest out here, the sun's setting, um, we can see the kind of final rays of the day peeking out over the top of these of these mountains that are just covered with, with rainforest. Massive companies Are using offsets from Alto Mayo for their offsetting commitments. Salesforce, Pearl Jam have bought offsets from there for their tour. Disney is especially reliant on Alto Mayo for its offsetting claims. And this is exactly what Disney is doing in the Alto Mayo. Disney has a a long legacy of caring about nature. The first day we went to Alto Mayo, we went with the Peruvian National Park Service and they were introducing us communities that were broadly supportive of the project.
0: Okay, that's a promising start. But then what did you find next? We stopped in this town that there had
1: been violent conflicts between local people and police relating to Conservation International and others relating to this scheme. And so I, I nipped off, went to the supermarket around the corner and spoke with a local lady and explained who I was and why there was some kind of the British guy appearing in uh, in the middle of the Amazon in Peru they were pretty distrustful to begin with but I I left my phone number and when we got back to our hotel that night I was sent a video of uh, homes being pulled down with chainsaws uh, further into the project Jordi (laughs) Kaito And a kind of message from someone saying there's actually far more um, serious problems here. Kind of, please, can we talk more? Wow. So that started a process of, I think we went back over two, three days. Um, so we're going to head back now to Aguas Verdes to hopefully speak with some of the local people um, about what's been going on in, in t- with the national parks protecting this area. These are. Uh, mainly coffee farming areas we just met more and more people who was telling us the same story that between january and, and may 2021 homes were being cleared they were they were being pushed out of, of, of areas by the police and park guards because of the scheme and they were showing us videos and so at that point we said well can we meet some of the people in the videos and we were able to meet a fair few people including Abel Carrasco. he's, he's a coffee farmer who was in in one of the videos it was recorded by his teenage daughter in the, in the video his home is just being knocked to the ground, and they're using ropes and, and axes, and they're, they're, they're shaking it. And there's a separate video where it, where it actually kind of finally collapses to the ground. He was explaining that his, his wife was pregnant at the time. But to be honest, this, this was not a special story. Uh, sí. The journey up to um, the communities where, where people were affected. Hola. Señor. okay. Patrick. Every time we stopped, the, um, our driver would ask, en, en hey, this is Patrick from The Guardian. Uh, he's here to speak to people affected by this problem. And there was there was always somebody in a car that had had their, their house knocked down. Okay. These weren't, from what I could tell at least, people running illegal logging operations.
0: Patrick, how does this work? How does... A project that's supposed to be protecting forests and some of the most important ecosystems in the world end up with the houses of people like Abel Carrasco and all of these other people that you met being pulled down by ropes? What's the connection?
1: So it comes down to this issue of uncertain land rights. So the way this project works is Conservation International comes in and they say, right, we're going to establish better protection for this key area we're going to pay for more park guards uh we're going to pay for equipment we're going to pay for alternative livelihood schemes for for people using the credits because that's going to cause a reduction in deforestation so local communities will be allowed to stay but they will sign conservation agreements where they agree to to protect the forest and and look after the areas that seems to be working for some communities but not all of them some of the people who had their homes torn down we have not been able to verify this but but they said i i was part of a coffee collective or i mean i i signed the agreement and i got my home torn down kind of how 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 does that work and and they would recount that the police would tell them and the park guards when when they came you you shouldn't be here this is a protected forest that's what's going on in in a lot of the videos um and obviously as, as as a reporter you can think how can i really trust what i'm what i'm seeing here because there's there's clear incentives on either side of this to say that oh, this is just a small this is everything or representative of, of just a small kind of set of problem communities or and, and i I've, I've checked these accounts with people who've spent a long time in altamayo uh who say that yeah, these these are These problems are part of a long ongoing tensions between communities and those who run the offsetting project and park guards. And most worryingly, I was also speaking to some offsetting researchers to get a kind of international perspective on this. I mean, maybe Altamira is just a bad case. And they were saying, no, this, this happens other places too.
0: And so what do Disney, Conservation International and Vera say about these things that you discovered in Altamayo?
1: Disney has not commented publicly on what's gone on and pointed us really to Conservation International and the Peruvian National Park Service who are responsible for running Altamayo. Conservation International, we should say we've shared all of the videos with them and our correspondence with the Peruvian National Park Service. We checked what was going on with them at the time when I was in Peru in terms of rumours of what was going on. And they have said that they are doing their own independent investigation. They've been assured by the Peruvian National Park Service that nobody was living in these homes at the time and that the people that were living there were given warning. The Peruvian National Park Service, CERNAP, which is the acronym in Spanish, they say... Again, that there had been illegal activity going on in the area, that there was cattle ranching, logging, land trafficking that was carried out in some of these sectors, and that they have received threats from some of these communities previously, including the kidnapping of their own staff. And there is a history of a violent conflict in this area, it should be noted, because of this carbon offsetting scheme. And they say that the characterising what happened and what went on as human rights abuses is not fair and not based in reality.
0: And what did they make of the wider findings of your investigation that many of these carbon credit projects are actually not beneficial to the environment at all? We shared our full analysis and the videos
1: with Conservation International. They dispute both the analysis, the conclusions of the studies and have defended the success of the scheme. They say it's one of the longest carbon offsetting schemes in the world of its kind and that there are genuine good examples of local communities being happy with what's going on in, in Al Samayo and that it's an inherently difficult part of the world, but they point to their sustainable coffee schemes and their success at limiting and, and deforestation rates in, in the last few years in the area with the scheme.
0: Coming up, in light of these findings, is there any future for carbon offsetting? Patrick, these findings that you've presented to us are just shocking, and what you found in Peru is really disturbing, and all of it makes me wonder, is the dream of carbon offsetting misguided? Does this system just not work at all, or is this part of the bumpy road of trying to figure out a carbon offsetting system that does work, that does make the planet better? I
1: think there are a lot of things being mixed up together in the current system. So we absolutely must stop tropical deforestation. That's a key part of limiting global heating to 1.5 degrees. Global leaders agreed that at COP26 to halt deforestation by the, the end of this decade. We must increase finance from the global north to the global south and pay for climate change mitigation in these areas. And we need to do it quickly. And I guess carbon... Credits and carbon markets are a way to do that. But we really need to think hard. Taking moral issues aside about whether good can cancel out bad and all that kind of thing, it comes down to market design, right? If we're going to have projects that are meant to stop deforestation, let's make sure that project is in a place where the forest is actually threatened. If we are going to have carbon neutrality claims that are going to be everywhere, We need to think about how that's regulated because it's all going into the atmosphere. It's all causing the extreme weather and the forest fires
0: and and the heat waves and everything else. And should those regulations also include who's even allowed to use these carbon offsets? I was shocked to learn that oil and gas companies, for example, can offset some of what they do, which doesn't seem productive at all given we just need them to extract less. Not to offset, just take less of it out of the ground.
1: Oil and gas companies are really major players in the world of carbon offsetting. And I was at COP27 in Egypt, in Sharm el-Sheikh, and the carbon offsetting lot were there side by side with many representatives from oil and gas companies. And to give some examples on that, I mean, Shell, part of our investigation, has set aside 450 million US dollars to invest in carbon offsetting projects and they have targets to buy enormous amount of credits i think it's kind of getting on half of all of the market for nature-based offsets every year that they, they want to eventually buy and that's just one company and these types of rainforest credits are a cheap and easy supply of them and they're setting up their own offsetting businesses and many shell figures that are part of the infrastructure that's scaling up this market i mean and there are others too it's not just them but That, I think, gives a a sense of the scale of money and effort that's
0: going into this world. What would a really well-functioning carbon market look like? When you talk to experts, what do they tell you is required to make carbon offsetting work, a genuine tool in the fight against the climate crisis? We could
1: create a system, for example,
0: where oil and gas companies and, and other
1: major polluters weren't allowed to buy carbon credits. They're the ones that need to cut emissions. but. We still do need that financial flow, right? So maybe the average citizens or companies that are on a particularly well-regulated or aggressive emissions-cutting pathway can go that extra mile, can pay for carbon credits. Everything is still possible on this, right? But time is of the essence, and this is going to be the system. We need to sort this quickly because it is not working right now. And as things stand, VERA is not a guarantee of anything for this kind of rainforest offset And that's having the opposite effect for the climate crisis that we want to see.
0: And so does your investigation have any advice for a company like Disney or or a much smaller company that's wondering, how do we keep doing what our business does while also offsetting the worst consequences of it?
1: I think if you're a business and really want to take this issue seriously, you need to look at the... Uh, science-based targets initiatives on how you should be transitioning and aligning your business practices with 1.5 degrees and the targets of the Paris Agreement. And it's going to be, unfortunately, I mean, I I would love it to be the case, but you won't be able to do it probably by just paying to protect an area of rainforest, right? It's going to be about going through supply chains. It's going to be about cutting out unnecessary ways of travel or changing how you move around the world or all those details. I guess many of us already know what the right things to do. All right? It's just a matter of doing them and taking that seriously. But the lesson I think really is that there's no easy answers and I really am unsure whether companies should be going around claiming they're carbon neutral using these kinds of credits when really they should be focusing on the boring but important stuff right now. Hmm. It's about aggressively cutting emissions. It's about getting fossil fuels out of the way we live our lives, decarbonizing our businesses, decarbonizing how we have fun, finding replacements, developing new technologies. We've, we've just got to go health for leather on, on that, I think, and, and, and not finding ways to continue business as usual by canceling something out theoretically with a carbon offset. And what about for us as individuals? I guess the bad news is that you you can't just pay a few dollars or a few pounds or or whatever, a few euros, whatever it might be, and cancel out the damage you're doing to the environment and the atmosphere. That just doesn't seem to be possible with these kinds of offsets, and I'm told with others that I've not taken a closer look at. In many ways, it's a really kind of lovely idea, but I personally guess I don't think it's possible. It'd be great if it was, but it's about cutting emissions. That's the message. Decarbonize.
0: Patrick, thank you so much for this. Thank you very much. That was Patrick Greenfield, a biodiversity reporter with the Age of Extinction Project. You can read all his stories as part of this investigation at theguardian.com. And that is it for today. This episode was produced by Ruth Abrahams. Sound design was by Solomon King. The executive producer was Elizabeth Casson. And we'll be back tomorrow.